and welcome to State News Sports Roundtable. I am your host, Eli McCowan, and this week on the podcast, we're going to be going all around the roundtable, talking to everyone and all of their different beats. But first, before we get into that, we have some breaking news as we're coming into recording. I'm sitting here with hockey beat reporter Brendan Gumbel, and I mean... Things just kind of went crazy a minute ago, didn't they? Yeah, just not even a minute ago, just the past 24 hours. It's been crazy with this whole coronavirus stuff. In the last 24 hours, <laughs> I woke up this morning. You know, I uh, accidentally slept through my alarm. Didn't go to my first class. That happens to the best of us. But then Michigan State decides to cancel classes. Yep, till April 20th. April 20th, a whole month, over over a month. Yeah. And then as, we're com- as we were getting ready to record... The NCAA has just announced that they are not allowing any spectators on to or in to watch March Madness other than essential staff and families. Yeah, I mean, obviously we knew something like that was coming because Ohio had already canceled, um, not canceled, but uh, limited access for their games, and the first some of the first four games are going to be played there. So I feel like it's a best-case scenario because there were rumors that they could cancel it altogether, and that would have caused an uproar, so I feel like... It's definitely going to be weird, and it's going to not make it as good and enjoyable, but I think it'll be okay. See, but I think this is an opportunity for these, um, for CBS and everything that they do there to make this really unique. Yeah. Because you're going to have everything from hearing, I mean, you think you hear the floor squeak and stuff when you're having that, mm-hmm. but you're going to hear that. You're going to hear the players talking, jawing each other. You're going to hear, I mean, imagine hearing Tom Izzo screaming at players from the exactly, broadcast. Like, yeah. you are going to hear some really unique things that you never heard you know, it's gonna be like an un- unfiltered basketball game. Yeah. This is gonna be the most the the weirdest and the most unique NCAA tournament that there has ever been. Yeah, no, it's it's just a really weird time. I think just even outside of sports, just every, the whole country just kind of in shock. Like, what do we do? And now it's we're gonna see something new every day. I think it's gonna it's gonna be weird. Really, really and Mark Emmer, the NCAA president, announced that he will continue to monitor and accommodate and manage um, as things develop. So at this point. It seems like everything's still on, ready to go. But, I mean, March Madness is still, I mean, we're talking right now on a Thursday. We're a week away from the first games here. We don't know how things are going to go here in the next week. So I can't see them canceling it. it, it just, it's going to take a lot for them yeah, to do that. I think more dominoes would have to fall before that, before they completely cancel it altogether. But it's going to be really interesting to see how things develop. Because right now, as we're coming on, I mean, everything's starting to cancel, mm-hmm. put into rules. The Big Ten tournament's not going to allow any media into the locker room. Mm-hmm. Um, the Golden State Warriors, Seattle Mariners, or just, just to name a couple, are are not allowing any fans until further notice. Yeah. Until things change. I don't think the Mariners are. They're pushing. They're like they're not playing in Seattle anymore because it's, it's really bad in Seattle. Yeah. So they're gonna relocate. So this is, this is one of the most unique times, and for a lot of sports fans, I mean. I mean, viruses don't really care, I guess, but this is coming up maybe one of the worst times of the year to yeah, decide to definitely, come. Definitely not ideal, yeah. But it, it's going to be something we tell our kids about, just like all the stuff that's going on and how it's affecting everyone with like school and sports and just life in general. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So now we're going to go ahead and transition into men's basketball and some other things we're going to be talking about today. So on the podcast, first we're going to start out with men's basketball, and then we're going to transition to women's basketball, then hockey and gymnastics. Um, men's basketball, women's basketball, and gymnastics were all filmed on last Monday, so we had no idea any of this was going to happen, but hockey will be up to date at that time. So we're going to go in and talk to uh, Paolo and Gina, and, and we'll be right back.
We're here with the men's basketball beat with Jaina Bardal and Paolo Giandrea. How are we doing, guys? Pretty good, how are you? Oh, I'm doing good, Jaina. Doing good. How was your guys' spring break? It was fun, it was fun. Back at home in Chicago, had a good time. Yeah, can't <laughs> complain. Where'd you head down to, Paolo, or are you home? Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale, all right. I went out to Milwaukee. Saw a Bucks game when they took on the Thunder. My Thunder lost by 50 points. But, you know, it happens to the best of us. Had a good time out there seeing a row, so I can't complain either. But we're here to talk some men's hoops here before we, you know, we're kind of going down the list of everybody here from spring break to talk to all, all the beats because there was a lot of action in Michigan State sports during the weekend. But first, men's hoops. Maryland and Penn State happened over um, spring break. We'll go ahead and start with Maryland, which was a monumental game and brought them within the uh, game of, Mar of Maryland at the time. So what did you guys see in that matchup? I mean, I thought the Maryland game was pleasantly surprising. I, it, I felt that Michigan State had it under control almost the whole game. I was never kind of questioning it. I always felt pretty confident in both their scoring abilities were really high, and on defense they were doing a really good job. So I think that win definitely propelled them and, and gave them the fire they needed to take the – a share of the title for the regular season and hopefully they can carry out that energy into the tournament this week too yeah I would definitely have to agree with Jaina watching that game beforehand we didn't have our usual preview or anything like that but I felt MSU was going to win I didn't think it was going to be by that margin but what I was most surprised by was the fact that there was really there wasn't that lapse whether it was early in the game where they really are off to a slow start or you know, they take a double-digit lead into half and then blow it, and then it's close down the stretch. They they had that all the way through. Um, when that shot was in the air from Cassius, I remember the game prior, or it was a couple games prior, me and Jana were sitting under the basket where he hit it before half, and he banked it in, but it was after the buzzer. And when that shot was in the air, I was watching in t on the TV from Fort Lauderdale in Spanish because they didn't have it in English, but <laughs> I, I saw that shot up, and I'm like, I think this is going in. He's he's hitting them all pregame. He hit the last one. It didn't go in. I think this one's actually going to count. And my God, that that did not even touch net. Like that was pure. Yeah. I think yeah. I'm looking back at the game where I wrote about it, and a big key was that four players scored in double digits for MSU. Which in the beginning of the season, we know they had they struggled a lot with people making shots and getting consistent offensive production from more than just Cassius or Xavier. So they had four players in the double digits, and Malik Hall shot a perfect 5-for-5, five five. so he's becoming a bigger key to the game too. That was the second game where Malik Hall went out to the East Coast and just balled out, you mm -hmm. know, whether it was Seton Hall or it's Maryland. He came out, and it, it felt like a game where they finally were starting to see, you know, there was all these doubts when, you know, the last time we were on a podcast where we were talking about men's basketball where they were like – they were just a layup away, you know, they're this away, they're a rebound away. And then it felt like they finally got around that corner and you were starting to feel like, okay, they're starting to turn it on now. Mm -hmm. And then Penn State and everyone going to that game, I, I felt really good going into Penn State on that game. And then Penn State came out, dealt a haymaker right from the beginning. Yeah. So what, what, what were you guys' thoughts going into that Penn State game? So I was actually... I was asleep for the first half. I I crashed, and I woke up, and it was the second half, and I didn't watch a second of bad basketball, so I really can't speak on the first half struggles, but from what I saw in that second half and from what I've heard about what they came, what the, the score they came back from, I was, I was uh, 
surprised to say the least, but in terms of turning that corner, I really, I don't, I say never doubt an Izzo team, always let them get to this point in the year because it seems I, I can only count on my, I, can, I don't even think it takes up a hand with how many times they haven't seemed to turn it on around this time of year. And I have my doubts this year that it would ever happen. I did, I went against my word, and it, I think they proved right there. They they had their laps, but they showed you that they can make up for it. I I was very, very, very surprised by that comeback. In that first half, I mean, I, I since you missed the first half, I, I wouldn't even call what Michigan State was doing necessarily. And, yeah, they had some lapses on defense, sure. Penn State was just utterly ridiculous yeah. in what they were doing on the offensive end. They, I think they, they had, had 10 threes ten in the first half. And none in the second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the first half, they just came out, and they it was contested three after contested three. They were just hitting them. Yeah. And that's what they did in the first matchup here mm-hmm. in the second half. Yeah, that was the biggest difference, the 10 threes in the first and then none in the second completely changed the whole, like, everything about the game. And MSU had big shooting differences between the halves, too. They shot 11% from the three in the first and then 40% in the second. And they were 40% overall in the first and then almost 70% overall in the second. So it kind of completely shifted and went backwards between the two teams in the first half versus the second half. But I think it showed a lot that Michigan State came back in the second half and really shut down Penn State when they were making those contested threes in the first. And I don't even know if I can really pinpoint exactly what stopped Penn State from making those threes in the second, but they were able to figure it out and stop them from that. It was just insane. There was literally a part on the sideline where it was like getting towards the end of the first half, and Michigan State was kind of – they, Penn State had had the lead up to 19. They started to cut into it going into the first half. They were trying to get it down to single digits, and Penn State goes down the floor, and I think it was like Aaron Henry or Gabe Brown was draped all over um, one of their guards, mm-hmm. and he just pulls up, and there it was like – not even 10 seconds into the shot clock, and he hits it. And the camera pans over to Izzo, and he just has his hands on his head, his hands up in the air, like, what are you supposed to Not do? Nothing mm-hmm. you can even do with And it, it just seemed like in the second half, Penn State just relied on it. They're like, oh, we're hot. And they just came out, and they kept shooting, 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 and they couldn't hit anything. And then Rocket Watts, I mean, he kept them in that game in the first half, too. Mm-hmm. And he came in, he hit timely shots. Not just, like, because everyone wants to talk about, oh, he's kind of becoming that third scorer, but he was just hitting timely things to keep him in it. Mm-hmm. And then in the yeah. second half, him and Cassius just propelled him into it, and, and Xavier, too. He had a yeah. phenomenal game, especially guarding Lamar Stevens. Yeah, and he had a career high, 23 points and yeah. 15 rebounds, too. So he's, I think he's been improving a lot, too, and looks like a good go-to person coming into March. And, I mean, he's probably the defensive player of the year in the Big Ten. Who would, who would rival him? I would say so. Yeah, I mean, it has to be. He's the only one that I can think of at this point that has um, any clout in that right now, especially mm-hmm. the way, I mean, he, in that Penn State game, Lamar Stevens, I think he only had two actual baskets in that game, and the rest yeah, were free throws, and yeah. he was just out of it the entire time. Like, Penn State in the first half, I was looking at it, and I'm like, Lamar Stevens is completely yeah. out of this game, and yet they're up by double digits going into halftime. I was like, this should not be a thing. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, and then on the offensive end, you saw what he did. So, yeah, I thought that game... You know, a lot of people like to, I can't remember if it was, it was two years ago when Michigan State get, went into Northwestern, they were down by like 20 yeah, some, and then Cassius day. just goes insane and breaks it. The, that game against Penn State was more telling to me than, than that Northwestern game was. Mm-hmm. And there was in a game where Penn State was just, what are you going to, it was one of those games where it just felt like, you know, what are you going to do? Throw mm-hmm. your hands up, you move on, it's, it's the end of it. But they came back, they battled back, Rocket showed that his offensive consistency is here to stay, and he kept mm-hmm. a minute, and 
that was a great day for him. And that's an interesting point about Rocket. I I don't know the exact numbers, but it seems like in the first half of these recent games, he's always had like 10, 11 points. He's always been like the leading scorer in these first halves where maybe Cassius isn't hitting his shots, Xavier might have missed a layup or two. Rocket seems to be the guy that can sort of mitigate those slow starts when they do happen, and then if they don't happen, it's just it's house, it's house money at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's what he's most important for. He's really, really kind of keeping them afloat in these first halves, and that's sort of been the death of this team this year. So I, that that is the biggest thing I took away from at least these last three games and concerning Rocket Watts. And then, yes, last night, or we're filming this on a Monday afternoon, and last night against Ohio State, I mean, senior day and a chance to clinch their third straight Big Ten title, they come through. It was a huge day for them. And one of the things that I thought was really insane about watching this one, I was watching it here in the office for the most part, actually, (laughs) on my laptop, and I was like two or three minutes behind. I have your tweet notifications on, Paulo, for stuff, and you were like tweeting ahead. And I was like, I had my phone there, and I'm sitting there, and I'm getting updates of the score ahead of time. I'm like, oh, well, like when Cassius got fouled on a three-point attempt in the first half, and he went to the line for three, I get a notification as that happened that he made all three free throws, and I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But um, this senior day felt like one of the most impactful that I've ever seen in a very, very long time. I was I was at the one where Aaron Harris came out in, with the leg brace on. And his mom sung the national anthem in the beginning, and it was a really emotional one. This felt special. And I would agree. That's what I wrote about in my secondary. Uh, I've actually been at every one since Kalen Lucas. Oh, my gosh. Minus Derek Nix's. And I would 100% agree with you that this one was far and away the most impactful, memorable. Izzo said it himself, and you know that man means what he says. Uh he basically told him, told everybody that you see on senior day how it's a culmination of four years of his teaching his players, and this time it was a culmination of his player, Cassius, really teaching him something. And yes, those are those could be considered as maybe just some you know nice words that he said, but I wholeheartedly believe that with everything that has happened this year, I. Cassius has impacted Tom Izzo in a, in a way no player has ever had. Yeah, and I thought one of the things that made me shake my head a lot after the game was um, what came out of what Chris Holtman said to a referee. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys I, saw. I, I, I saw that on Twitter, but I didn't and I heard see, Izzo's yeah. comment about it about you know I I apologize if it offends anyone, but this is a really important tradition here. I did not know exactly what went down, though. There was uh, Larry Lage, I believe, mm-hmm. tweeted it and said that he told the referee they should have to do that after. When, yeah, he was checking the players out and they were all kissing the logo. Yeah, and what I, what I have to say to that is it, it was in 2012. I was there for that one in Ohio State. Ohio State went out and beat them, and they didn't get a chance to do it. So Beat them, and you don't have a problem. When you got a chance to yeah. do it. I mean, like, you're, you were down by 15 points. It's not like the change of the game, any. Like, I, I don't understand. Like, I understand maybe if it's a close game still and we're up by, like, you know, six and there's 30, 40 seconds left or whatever. And they're, and he's like, I still got a shot here or something like that. But, like, it, they were down by 20 points when they started to do this. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. The only thing I thought 
was a, I thought it was a little bit clunky the way Izzo did it because he had 23 yeah. seconds left and then he had him foul again with nine. That was just kind of awkward there. I wasn't sure what exactly was you happening. I, mean? I don't know if he was just like reminding them, hey, this is how we're going to do it or if he was trying to... I'm not 100% sure what he was trying to do or exactly, but yeah, it was weird. But I thought like... It was two years ago with Brad Underwood in Illinois, I was just and he, and he yeah. comes out and he he came over and like embraced Tom Tom and, yeah. yeah. and said, "Hey, you know what? Like, and I understand this is something that's special, that something completely different than Michigan State does from every other school. I understand mm-hmm. it's different, but like, I thought Brad Underwood did it in the right way, especially in a way where it's like, okay, you know, I understand the game's close, and I would say I don't, Izzo wouldn't have done it if it was close, but like, this game was over. They they've been doing this for." I mean, how long now? Uh, since Sean Respert, would it be 25 years, 26 years? Yeah, so this has been going on for years, decades. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden somebody, you know, has to have a problem with it. But this is what it is, I guess. Yeah, and Izzo said after the game, I asked, so I asked him what that final embrace with Cassius was like, and he said I wanted him to enjoy every second he could on that court. So for that, it makes sense that he he left him out there for those few extra seconds. I just thought he should have taken him out with 23 left when he had Arns and Connor George. I get he wanted to have let him have his moment, but it was just kind of clunky the way he did that. I, I I understand, I understand the argument, but I agree with you, Eli, that it, it's different here and it's been a long-standing tradition. And like you said, beat him and there's no problem. Yeah, I mean, and Cassius's night was unbelievable and like one of the most efficient of 14. nights. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, he's incredibly efficient, and then you know, with two minutes left there. You could see where everyone just cleared out for him. Oh and yeah, said, and, those, Go and those were garbage time misses too. Like yeah. he was on, and he he comes out too there at the last two minutes, and he says, and pretty much everyone cleared out for him. He was one on one, and he just hits that step back three one last time, and it was just like my goodness, it it, it was symbolic of how special he was to this East Lansing community. Mm-hmm. And now we're moving on to the Big Ten tournament. As I said, we're filming this, we're recording this on a Monday, so Big Ten brackets out. Michigan State is the two seed. Which, like, honestly, in this year's Big Ten tournament, if, if you get the bye, it doesn't really matter where you're at. I, was, I am still confused, and maybe you guys can give me some clarification on this. I, not, like I said, not that it matters or not that it bothers me, but I don't understand how the seeding worked and how Wisconsin gets the one and Michigan State two, Maryland three. So I read an article about it and thought I understood it that if – Michigan State won this game that they would get the one, but apparently Michigan would have had to have beaten Maryland mm-hmm. for that to happen because the tiebreakers, they basically had to go two, three down the list in terms of tiebreakers because MSU, Maryland, and Wisconsin were all tied, and then it goes to head-to-head against the others, and I believe that was oh. not enough. So then after that, I am un, I'm, I don't recall what the process is there, but... There was a an arbitrary tiebreaker at that point, and I I'm not certain about. Because honestly, it, looking when you look at the bracket, we're going to be facing the winner of Ohio State and Purdue. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we were the one, we're facing Rutgers and Michigan. I don't. There's no difference between those two matchups in yeah, reality. Yeah. Like you're looking at it, and I mean, honestly, they're all of them are going to be equal, equally as tough. Obviously, mm-hmm. playing Michigan in their first matchup would have been a little more emotional, a lot more would have been yeah. meant a little more. I but think it probably would have benefited MSU to be honest, because at this point on the winning streak they're on, it seems like, and the fact that the committee has shown that these conference tournament games do not mean nearly as much as we think, mm-hmm. and 
it's really I I always look at the tournament as a barometer of how they're playing like the year they lost to Wisconsin in the championship game they, they went to the final four they lost the title but you could tell they were peaking you could tell they played well against one of the best teams in the nation you could tell they ran through that tournament mm-hmm. I I'm, I watch I'll, I'll be watching these games and seeing how they're playing and if they can sustain this I guess and en- this newfound energy that they had that they were lacking it's not necessarily about the result obviously if they lose their first game it kind of tells you okay maybe they don't have but they're riding a win streak here three games and they're going to have a tough matchup they're going to have a rematch with ohio state or purdue who they always seem to struggle with so it'll be a barometer to see how they're playing and less about the result and like you said i really don't think it matter who for that point i don't think it matter matters who they play right and i so Going forward, you guys will be heading down Friday morning yes. to Indianapolis. So what do you expect to see in terms of how far you think Michigan State will go? You want to go ahead? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I see them doing a good job. I was talking to them about the like impact it had taking the for the, the Big Ten regular season title or a portion of it for the third year. And they're all saying it's a lot different because every other year they kind of knew they were in a good position to win it. But this year, all of them said, Cassius and Xavier, they were both they both said almost the same thing. They're like, at one point this year, I thought, we're not going to get the title this year. We're three games behind Maryland, and we're not going to get it. But they were able to come back, and I think they have a lot of energy underneath them that they had that uncertainty at one point in their season. Now they've came back, and they, they've proved themselves that they could take a portion of it. And now I think in the tournament, they're going to want to prove that they can be the sole champion, not standing behind or standing beside two other teams in the Big Ten. Um, so I'm I have confidence in them going into the Big Ten tournament. I would say I would not guarantee, but I think they will win their first game. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think they will handle that Ma- possible matchup against Maryland in that second one. I could definitely see them losing that after Maryland got handled at their own place. Uh, that will be a very tough one. If they win that, I think I honestly think they run and win the whole thing, but that seems to be the biggest red flag. I think it all kind of depends on how Tom Izzo decides to take this Big Ten tournament because I could see him. He's done it in the past where he goes, you know what, I want to make sure these guys stay healthy, I want to keep them rested, and I want to get some be ready for the tournament. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be interesting to see how he handles his minutes distribution mm-hmm. with Cassius and Tillman and some of those guys to see how many minutes he plays them in the tournament. And I think that's going to be pretty telling on how far they go. And, I mean, for them, you know, they're sitting there in a position where it's like, okay, I, I think at this point, even if they lost in the first round, they're probably locked in around that 3-4 seed. That's what it looks like. On probably all a the, three. Prob- that's where they're locked in on about every, from CBS to ESPN, that's where they're locked in. I, I mean, in... Unless they won this whole thing, I don't really see them moving up to that two line, mm-hmm. and not and even like, that. I mean, even the difference then, between two and three line, it's not that big of a difference. It's dependent on other teams. So, like Kentucky, if they would have lost against Florida, I I was thinking if Kentucky lost that game, then there was a chance that MSU slips in as the last two. Maybe there still is. Let's say Kentucky slash Seton Hall loses early in their conference tournaments and MSU runs the whole thing, there is definitely a case. But we've seen in the past, like 2014, where they had all those injuries all year, they ran that tournament, beat a very good Michigan team handily, mm-hmm. and then got stuck as the four seed in the number one overall seeds region. Yeah. So my 
assumption is that they're going to be a three no matter what. Um, and as far as the minutes thing you, you were saying, I I believe that Izzo is probably going to play these games as if they're NCAA tournament games in terms of how he handles everybody's minutes solely because I don't think he's going to try to disrupt the flow they have going right now. If if guys are going to get hurt, they're going to get hurt, and I think he believes that. He seems to always kind of run that philosophy. Obviously, he says, you know, we've been playing Cassius too much, we've been playing Tillman too much. Maybe we see a, like a little bit of more Foster Lawyer like we did against Ohio State in the yeah. tourney last year. But when it gets serious and we have a matchup like a possible Maryland in the semis, then I, I think everybody's full go. All right. Well, I want to thank you guys for hopping on to talk to MSU Hoops today. Um, next, we're going to move on and bring on uh, our women's basketball beat reporter, Devin Anderson-Torres, to talk some women's hoops after their short stint in the Big Ten tournament and what their possible postseason could look like. So now I'm joined by the women's basketball beat reporter here at State News, Devin Anderson-Torres, who just came back from Big Ten Tournament down in Indianapolis over spring break. So, Devin, how was Indy? Uh, Indy was all right. It's a nice city. Um, Could have hoped for a better turnout. was only there for a day, but, you know, it was a good time. So what were you and uh, Mr. Sean Ryder up to down in Indy outside? What did you guys go see down there? Um, we weren't there for long, so we didn't do too much. We went to the uh, that mall downtown and um, uh, ate some food, got steak and shake. Oh. Which um, is also in Lansing, so I don't know why we went there. But <laughs> I was kind of hoping for something uh, a little more indie vibes. But well, See, it makes me sad because the steak and shake in my hometown got closed. It was open for like two years, and then it closed. I have not had steak and shake since like middle school, and it's really depressing. Yeah, Steak and Shake is uh, good, especially for the price. High-quality establishment. But on to the women's basketball. So, obviously, it was a really disappointing turnout for the Spartans down in Indies as they lost to Purdue. So what did you see down there in that matchup? Uh, Purdue just killed it, honestly, through that whole first half. I mean, um, Ariana Harris, the Purdue's uh, big man, uh, had six blocks in the first half. I mean, she was just swallowing up the paint and um, – you know, Spartans were making shots. I think they shot 20% in the first half. Uh, it was a, it was a struggle. Um, they went into the fourth quarter down 15, and then you know you see that Spartan fight, that Spartan dog yep. fight. Um, you know where they don't. You know they, it could be the last game they're ever playing together, and they um, they rallied back. They brought it within six multiple times. It just wasn't enough. Shea Colley put put up 14 points in the second half. Um, Taryn McCutcheon hit. You know, had five points in like 15 seconds towards that last minute of the game to bring it back within six. And um, there's a lot of players that stepped up, but just unfortunately, uh, it wasn't their day, and um, they didn't. They lost. It was kind of that like too little, too late part of the year, and it's just it's unfortunate too because you you, like you said, seeing Shea Holly go for 14 points in the second half, you see the you saw flashes of potential all year long, but again, it was just never being able to fully get everyone healthy and ever put it together, it seemed like. Yeah, I think health played a huge role. I mean, Susie Merchant said it after the game. I mean, if they're healthy, they're a top, you know, 17 team. You know, they're in the big, they're in the NCAA tournament, and, you know, they're going to, they're going to be a good team. And, you know, that just unfortunately never happened. It was hard for them to field, you know, five healthy players throughout the year. You know, there's sicknesses and injuries. I mean, you look at a team that started the year with Shea Colley, Victoria Gaines, 
and Taryn McCutcheon as that big three with Nia Cloudon right there with him. And, you know, all of a sudden, two of them are gone, just like that. Mm-hmm. Shea Cowley's not back towards the end of the year. And, you know, I think we got to see a lot of players, um, I guess, um, blossom as far as getting experience and um, showing their potential. But with young players comes inconsistency. And I think we saw a lot of that, especially against Purdue, where, um, you know, it's the heat of the moment. They've never played in a Big Ten tournament. And it kind of, I think it, it kind of hit him in the jaw to start. Started off slow. And, you know, on top of it, Kayla Bellis injured herself right before the game. You know, <laughs> just on par with their season. It's, it was just symbolic of what yeah. everything had happened. Yeah, I mean, Kayla Bellis, you know, they're really out of sync without her in the paint, who had just been tearing it up over the past, like, what, six games? Yeah. She'd been killing it. And, you know, they were without her. It hurt. Probably would have subdued Harris a little bit, but, you know, they didn't get it done. And it's it's just I mean even with all the injuries they still what was it was they they finished sixteen and fourteen Six, sixteen thirteen sixteen fourteen yeah so I mean they finished above five hundred I mean they frankly they turn you know if they have the health I mean it's just it's really unfortunate because you can you saw what this team was supposed to be yeah. you saw flashes and they just never could put it together and now we're looking forward to the postseason or maybe not it, it there's no chance they make it into the NCAA tournament with the record they have. Um, I believe they finished near 500 in the Big Ten. They're 9-9, yep. Yep, so um, sitting at 16-14, they're not going to make the NCAA tournament, but they should get an invite to the women's NIT, but do they accept it? Um, so that's um, something interesting. Susie talked about that as well after the game. Um, you know, she said she doesn't know. She doesn't know if they're going to take the invite, if they get the bid. I mean, they're really injured. They're an injured team. I mean... You know, there's stuff that we probably don't even know about that she hasn't told us mm-hmm. um, injury-wise. And, you know, with that kind of injuries, they might just want to get healthy. They might want to call it after the Big Ten tournament. Um, you know, obviously the Spartans would be a huge grab, huge bid for the NIT. And I think and the NIT committee, whoever it is, makes a big push, push to get them in there. And I think that, honestly, I think they do well there. Um, you know, they play most of the games at home where I think they were nine and three. They finished like nine and three, yeah. something like that. Crazy home record, nine and two maybe. And um yeah, I mean if they accept the bid, I think they do well. If um they decide not to, I think their season really shouldn't be defined by wins and losses. It definitely could be a growing opportunity for some of the younger players seeing maybe Eliza Winston get some more running time or um Oh, shoot, her name's slipping my mind. Retire Parks, get some more time. So people like that get some more playing time in a postseason-like environment, even if it's not the NCAA tournament. But obviously, injuries got to come first. And also, you know, do you want to put Terrence McCutcheon and some of them through more possible losses, more devastation on what this year, you know, was supposed to be and then kind of a downfall, you know. It's it's, it's going to be a tough decision. I believe they find out March 16th. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, so it's around, they'll figure out in about a week whether they, I don't know if by that time whether they'll tell the NIT whether they accept the invite or if we'll figure out around then whether they, bit, yeah. they're invited or not. But we'll know sometime in the next week, week and a half, roughly. Yeah, around like, there. Yeah, so I mean, that's kind of, but that's kind of it for women's basketball. And we'll see if they get there. If they play the women's NIT, they'll play right here at home. Yep, they'll play most of the games at the Breslin. The NIT is based on um, attendance. So, um, you know, when you look at... They'll be near the top. Yeah, you look at attendance. The Breslin Center usually, you know, to an extent, fills out for the women's basketball team. 
Well, that's all I have for you, Devin. Hopefully, we do get some chance to talk some um, NIT action if they decide to accept it, but we will see going forward, and um, I appreciate you coming on the pod today. Yep, thanks for having me. All right, so now I'm here with Brendan Gubble, our hockey beat reporter, here to talk some MSU hockey. So over the course of spring break, the hockey season came to an end for the Spartans in the Big Ten tournament, swept in Yost over in Ann Arbor by their rivals. So, Brendan, what went wrong? Well, I guess the biggest thing that went wrong is they didn't score any goals, shut out 3 nothing in both games. Um, so you got to look there, obviously. But I think if you look closer at it, uh, they were, I think, 0 for 8, 0 for 9 combined on the power play over the two games. So they had their opportunities. They had some good looks. They just couldn't get anything past U of M's goalie. And um, obviously being on the road doesn't help. But, uh, yeah, they were just really stagnant, and the game was just – they were just played flat as a whole, uh, probably as flat as they played all year. And, I mean, this is a team that, you know, I mean, the last time I had you on the podcast, they were – trending in the highest direction that they've ever been and it seems right after we did that maybe it's just a podcast curse I think, yeah the curse yeah. it's a curse evidently because right after that it was just a nosedive well they were they were in first place in the big 10 like with a month ago in the year um which was obviously unheard of come based on how they've been doing the past couple seasons and then in their last 10 games they went two seven and one dropped all the way to sixth place um and not the big 10 was really close so like it's not as big of a drop off as it looks like but yeah just getting the, the road games and just coming into the Big Ten tournament, not playing well. It just, it all happened at the wrong time. It's, it is unfortunate the way it ended, but I mean, for a team that nobody expected them to be there. Yeah. And that even in that position, even it was a month out, nobody even expected them to be ending where they ended. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it is really impressive what Danton Cole's been able to do in just a couple of seasons there. I mean, he's really flipped the script. And I think looking ahead to next season, and that's kind of what we're transitioning to a little bit here, I mean, he's got a lot of momentum. He does, and it's going to be a big year for him because he's been here for three years, and each of those three years they've improved in terms of overall regular season wins and then points in the conference. So they have improved, but now I feel like in his fourth year, that's when they have to really take that next step. Um, He talked about one of their goals coming into this season was being able to get a home game or home series in the Big Ten tournament, which they weren't able to do. So I think that's where they have to start next year um, and just play more consistent overall. They're going to have to replace a a lot of scoring and leadership, but... Um, I think they do have good reinforcements on the way. So so you're talking about it a little bit. What do you expect from this squad next season? Well, they lost, they're losing Letheman, who obviously had a career year this year. He completely took over, but Drew DeRitter will take over in net, who split time with Letheman last season, so he's experienced. Uh, he played in a couple games this year, so I think they're really comfortable with that goaltending. I think that's not an issue. Uh, they're losing some scoring with Kodarenko, Saliba, and Lambden. Um, I mean, that just means the three freshman forwards are going to have to step up. Uh, Josh Nadler, Jagger Joshua, and Nico Mueller, they kind of at points showed flashes of offensive production, but uh, next year they're really going to have to step up and take more increased roles. And then defensively, they're obviously losing Rosberg, but the Krieger twins are coming back, Dennis Asana's coming back, and then Dan Cole said in his press conference yesterday that I believe two of the defensemen they're getting are right now in the top 10 in scoring in the USHL, which is the top junior mm-hmm. league in the world. So he said defensively is going to be a big strength for the team next year. Um, it's just going to be about kind of replacing the offense and then who's going to step up into the leadership positions. And then Kodorenko and Rosberg also just signed NHL contracts yeah. as well. Yeah, that was big. Kodorenko had interest from like eight or nine NHL teams. Um, I think he'll be a really good fit uh, in New York. Uh, and then Rosberg scored in his first game with the Texas Stars last night, so he got off to a hot wow. start. 
Uh, and then I think John Lethman probably will sign somewhere in the coming days too. But those three, yeah, it's good to see all them landing on their feet. And then a couple of the other seniors too signed deals with like little Disney Butcher Scafari is in Toledo now with the Toledo Walleye. Awesome. And Logan Landon is with the Kalamazoo Wings, I believe. So they're all they're all finding homes. They're all getting on their feet. It was a really talented senior class this year. Well, I mean, since classes are suspended, I might as well just go down to Toledo to yeah, see him, we, right? I mean, <laughs> we got the time. We got the time now, am I right? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think that's all I've got for you, Brennan. I really appreciate you to come on to talk some hockey today with us. And now, I mean, you're free. I'm, yeah, I'm free. Let's see what's – I don't know what's going to happen with baseball or softball now with this whole coronavirus thing, but – Definitely have a lot of time on my hands. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you, Brennan, for coming on. And next, we're going to transition into uh, gymnastics. And we're going to bring on our general assignment for Sarah to talk some gymnastics and how they fared over spring break and preview how they will be doing going forward. Now I'm here with Sarah Tidwell, our gymnastics beat reporter. And over spring break, the Spartans gymnastics kind of had a light week kind of over that time, but they took on Iowa State over the weekend. So Sarah, how first, how was your spring break? Uh, my spring break was really good. It was a much needed break away from all of the mess of, you know, school. Yeah, for sure. So Iowa State, what happened in that matchup against Iowa State? They're, Iowa State, the Cyclones were ranked 17th in the country going in. So what kind of happened during spring break? Okay, um, before spring break was Iowa State, but... Um, oh, it was that... Oh, that's right. It was that, like, yeah, Friday. Yeah, it was the yeah. Friday before. Eastern Michigan was actually Saturday, but um, I can also talk about that one, too. Yeah. But, you know, um, to talk about the most recent meet, Eastern Michigan, they... It was their senior meet, their last meet of, the like, the season at Jenison. So, from here on out, they're out on the road. They're going to the Big Tens, stuff like that. Um, but Saturday was their senior meet, which meant they honored Ella Douglas, and... Um, they captured. They actually captured the win with that meet by like a solid two full points, I think, which is a lot for gymnastics. Um, they took. They had 195, and then Eastern was like just over 194, so it wasn't too bad. But um, it was definitely a scene win because you know Michigan State is now ranked and Eastern is not. But um, all in all, you know Ella did good. She, I think, she took top titles in both beam and floor something like that um and then the other two events were also taken by spartan girls so they all they took top titles in all events and then the all-around was won by leah mitchell again i think this is her like seventh or eighth consecutive win so gotcha. so gabriella douglas she is the only senior on the spartans team um obviously over the last four years i mean this is a gymnastics squad that's kind of been in turmoil she's been through it and now you know it's obviously it was a really emotional time for her so can you talk about her you know four years here and what it means to her as she's wrapping up her career as a spartan now um ella's actually the oldest on the team by a lot like not just because she's a senior but she's actually 23 and i think the age gap is like two or three years between oh, the wow. next girl yeah leah's only like 21 or something like that um so she came in to michigan state two years late like she stayed in her hometown in canada because she's a canadian mm -hmm. And she focused on, like, working on their national team. And then came in here 2016, so this will be her fourth year on the team. And she does have another year of eligibility, but she wants to focus on getting into med school first. Gotcha. So she's just kind of going to go on the sidelines. She wants to help out with coaching, like their assistant coach Nicole does. And she also wants to just kind of, like, be the cheerleader, help out with maths at the meets, like, you know, keep the girls in check. Um, but her last four years, she definitely has grown a lot. She told me that she, it took 
a lot coming in and being older than a lot of the girls, but it, it also meant she was more mature, more ready for college gymnastics, and you can definitely see that when she's out there, like, on the floor performing. Um, she definitely is very thankful to still be competing, too, because when you get to a certain age, your body, like, starts to not let you want to do it anymore because this is something for, like, younger girls and mm -hmm. girls who, like, like, flipping and stuff. You obviously can't do that after a certain age. It gets way harder, and she has had multiple surgeries on her knees, She's torn her ACL, and she's still come back, and she's very happy and very healthy, and she's still kicking it. And um, I know she's definitely looking forward to wrapping up her season and being done with, you know, her career, but she said it's also, like, a very bittersweet moment. Like, she doesn't want it to end, but she knows it's going to end, and so she's going to take that. And she's going to she's going into med school to, to, like, go into sports medicine, and she told me she's following in the path of all of the doctors that kind of helped her through her career. She wants to do that for little girls in gymnastics one day. That's pretty incredible. I mean, as someone who, who when I see her videos online of her performing, I mean, it blows my mind some of the things that she can do. And then, you know, hearing, I, I had never heard of that, that she was going to med school until now. I mean, she's had quite a career there. And then to see that she's also doing it on the academic side is pretty um, incredible. And now they're moving it, gymnastics, they're moving into the Big Ten tournament here. I believe it's like in a week or so. Mm -hmm, yeah. So what do you see going on there? How do you think they'll perform going into the Big Tens? Uh, that one's going to be pretty tough because a lot of the Big Ten teams are up in the top ranks of the, the road to Nationals polls. So, like, we, they have Michigan again. They're going to have Minnesota, Maryland, all of those teams that they went up against in the Big Fives. And then they're also going to have, like, Nebraska, who they lost to here at home. They're going to have Iowa, um, a bunch of other teams that are still, you know, they're not up in, like, the top ten rankings, but they're in, like, the teens, still mm -hmm. above Michigan State, who's, you know, only 25. They're just on the cusp of being kicked back out. But, um... They do have a lot of potential. They're on a win streak right now. I think they're three wins in right now. So they're bringing it back up because the beginning of their season, they started out losing every meet and, you know, getting kind of kicked down in the dirt. But um, Rose had having them work pretty, pretty hard. And I can see that they're definitely going to, you know, come out somewhere on top. All right. Well, Sarah, I want to thank you for coming on and talking gymnastics today. Um, good luck to you finishing up the rest of your beat there. I know it's coming to a close here pretty soon. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Thank you.